Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Streamed and Screened, an entertainment podcast about movies and TV from Lee Enterprises. I'm Terry Lipschutz, a senior producer at Lee and co-host of the program with Bruce Miller, editor of the Sioux City Journal and a longtime entertainment reporter. Tis the season, Bruce. Tis the award season. You feel like you're kind of in the midst of it now. I mean, you've been with me now more than a month. Right. And say, yeah, I kind of feel I get this. I get what award season's all about. Yeah, it's exciting times. I mean, we, we've got it's all in the news. People are talking about well, who's the best picture going to be, the best actors, surprises, things to watch. I still got to double down and, and really get watching. I'm, I've probably about halfway through the, the best picture nominees. I think I've seen four or five of them. So I've still got a little work to do on those to get caught we, up. We've got to get this done with this can. We've got to have all ready for that night. Do you ever do like I do where you have the ballot and you mark it off and then at the night of the Oscars, you watch to see how well you did? Yeah, I haven't done that in a few years. I used to do it pretty religiously because in my in my single pre-family days, I would see every movie and just take notes and be ready to go on every single movie. And I And I knew a lot of even some of the Dark Horse movies and some of the lesser knowns. I'm at that point now, Bruce, where I'm just lucky if I can stay awake at night to catch... 30 minutes of TV. You probably get all of the best animated film nominees because the kids have to see those, <laughs> right? I, yes, I, I can I can usually be a pretty solid source on uh, which Disney Pixar movie uh, delivered and did not. Although now the kids are almost 12, Bruce, so we're, we're kind of moving out of that. Yeah, we're moving Have you out. been to Ant-Man yet? No, no. Okay, get ready. I was very disappointed, very disappointed in Quantumania because I was expecting it to be a little funnier than it was because Ant-Man is the guy who brings the humor. You know, he's kind of like really not as into it as the others and he can do goofy things. Not unlike Thor, but Thor, they kind of repurposed. But Ant-Man, he has one good laugh at the beginning and then it gets deadly serious because they kidnap his daughter and they want him to get something for them so that they'll let her go. And it's like, really? I This is too much. Plus, they've been using this new technique where basically actors are performing in front of a big TV screen and then they film that. And it doesn't, it looks flat, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ant-Man and the Wasp and the Wasp, come on, see how, how much she's in it. She's hardly in it. Her mother is in it more than she is. Really? Yeah. And they introduce Kang, who's an interesting character who will be back and apparently has something to do with the whole Marvel universe going forward. So. Okay. It was one of those things where I was more interested in the heat warmers on my seats than I was in the movie. Is is Ant-Man, because I'm not a huge comic book movie person, but I did see Deadpool. So is the kind of the humor of Ant-Man similar, not as not grisly? As snarky. He's not okay. as snarky as Deadpool, who I love. Because he just, you know, oh, look at this, get this. But he is funny. Like one of the scenes, and a spoiler, I'm just putting it out there, is that they confuse him with Spider-Man. And it's (laughs) like, oh, thanks a lot. So uh, that's kind of cute. And Paul Rudd is good at at humor. But he's always been seen as kind of a second tier superhero. And then now to try and kind of up him a little bit, I don't know. It it didn't work for me. So, okay. yeah. All right. Well, you know, you didn't 
you really have to sell me hard on a comic book movie to get me to go. So you're you're not getting me there right now. The Flash. The Flash is the one that, you know, they doubled down because Ezra Miller was in some kind of um, uh, some trouble. Let's right. Just- yes and they thought are we going to just ditch the film what are we going to do and they are coming out full guns ablazing on this one and they're standing by Ezra so it must be a good film and that's coming out and that'll be an interesting one to see what happens and I'm I'm curious on that one too because you're bringing back arguably one of the best Batmans of all time in Michael Keaton yeah that'll be fun to see right so they probably spent too much money they can't they can't ditch it you know, no. and they no. don't have a place to stick it somewhere where you say, well, we'll just burn this one off on this because we spent too much money. Kind of, you know, moving back to to award season. This is a big time. This last week, BAFTAs, which are usually after the Oscars or very mm-hmm. close to the Oscars, uh, has jumped the gun kind of so that they don't they don't look like they're just mimicking what the Oscars are. And they had a wild bunch of different nominees. Something like Fablemans, for example, didn't get much in the in the nominations. I noticed that. All Quiet on the Western Front got a lot and it won a lot. I think it won seven um, and including Best Picture. Now, it's nominated in the Oscars too, but I don't think it'll show that well in the US. It'll get maybe international film, but I don't know that it'll win Best Picture. I, I saw All Quiet. It was one that I watched uh, I, a few months ago because it's on Netflix and it, it's a Netflix movie. Uh, and I I like watching kind of those period war pieces, World War One, World War Two. So I was intrigued. I never saw the original, um, so I don't have a point of comparison. I liked the movie. I thought it was a good it had that good message of anti-war message, right? It's it's like there's the horrors of war and we're right. going to show you the horrors of war. But I, it was a little bit sluggish, you know, two hours and change, I think it was. And it, it was a hard watch after a while. Yeah, uh, it was not not one that I was invested in. So I don't know that it'll win. I don't know that it has that that quality. Do you think with that one at all it could pick up steam just as kind of sometimes it seems like with the award season there's more than just handing out awards there's maybe picking up a message some sort of theme of of like what's going on and and the fact that we have the russia ukraine war right now that somebody it might pick up steam because people it's an anti-war message at a time when we're on the brink i don't think it will i think uh you know this was going to be the year of the woman and that's why we had women talking, she said, tar. Those are all kind of stronger messages to sell. And I think people have kind of war fatigue, if you will. Mm. And they're not that interested in, in that. Now, we could see at the Screen Actors Guild, the, the, the award that you have to look at there for potential best picture is best performance by an ensemble. Um, and last year, I think Coda won. And that was like, really? Coda's winning? This We can't have that. Mm-hmm. And it won. It won the Oscar. So this could be a bellwether. And that's because there are more actors in the Oscar uh, voting than there are in any other uh, discipline or area. So they do have a lot of clout. And in the best pictures, kind of they throw them all in. And if you figure, well, I've got more of these people voting for best picture that's a likely 
bellwether. But I don't know that this year's Screen Actors Guild will show that. I don't I don't believe All Quiet was nominated for Best Ensemble. So um, it's going to be, you know, I think it'll be a surprise this year, a big surprise. But if you look at actor and actress and supporting and supporting, that this one could be a very good indication of who will win. Best actress and actor, who who do you think? I mean, because we saw in the BAFTAs, we saw Austin Butler for Elvis win. And I think he's gaining momentum. If you watch the ads for Elvis now, it all says, for your consideration, Austin Butler. They're not saying, for your consideration, best picture, even though it's nominated for best picture. They are really pushing Austin. And I think they figured that's their best chance of winning. He is leading in some of the, you know, where they predict. Uh, Gold Derby likes to predict. And um, I that could be an indication. But you know what? They like to surprise, too. And I wouldn't be surprised if Brendan Fraser wins it because that's a good story. He was a huge star. He was Tom Cruise level. And then a lot of things happened and he disappeared. And this brings him back in a big way. It's a good acting exercise. I mean, when you see him playing this guy and you think, wow, this is this is good stuff. Um, it would be a way of saying we still have a quality level. We're not just suckers for anybody who plays a musician or a singer, because how many of those have been out there? And Chadwick Boseman played one, and he never he didn't even get nominated. And Chadwick Boseman was great. So I think after they gave Rami Malek the one for Bohemian Rhapsody, they said, let's kind of put the brakes on this a little bit. So that's what I think would be against Austin Butler. But I think it's those two. Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser are the two. If there's a sneaker in there somewhere, it's it's going to be a real surprise. I liked Colin Farrell a lot, but I don't think he has enough momentum. And Bill Nighy, that would be like we're rewarding somebody who's old. And Paul Mescal, who was in After Sun, people know him more for um, the Hulu series he did more so than than uh, for this. So I think it's down to those two guys. It's either Austin or it's Brendan. Yeah, I have not seen The Whale yet. Uh, that was one where my wife and I actually were talking about going to see it, but it seemed to kind of move in and out of the theaters really quickly. And, and a lot of those types of movies tend to do that. So I think we're, it was we're, streaming, though. I think you could see it somewhere. Yeah, I think we're going to try to to sneak that one as, in as soon as possible. Um, I did see Elvis. It, it was not my favorite movie of all time by any stretch of the imagination why, I, why? <laughs> well i mean you, you i mean you know and and we're obviously the the audience doesn't have the benefit of of seeing us um but i'm surrounded by music i'm a huge music fan i listen to a lot of music um cds vinyl the whole the whole thing so anytime there is a music kind of biopic I want to see it. So, you know, The Doors, I was all over that one. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. Those to me are really some of the the best movies of in in the genre. Um I mean, there's others that I prefer too, like and and they tend to be a little bit more on the documentary side of things like uh you know, the one that that uh looks at the um Sugar Man the uh that looked at that Rodriguez, right? The the musician sure. who was going to be the next Dylan, it won an Oscar and he kind of, he was a construction worker in Detroit for years. 
Um, you know, so I, I really like watching those kind of reality type ones. But, you know, Elvis isn't my favorite musician of all time, for one thing. Oh. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like already a little bit behind. Uh, I thought HBO did a really good documentary on Elvis a few years ago called The Searcher, which I, I think really did a good job at looking at Elvis as the person. I felt that this movie was skimmed over his life just way too quickly in the two plus hours, however long it was. And it turned more into, this isn't a movie about Austin Butler as Elvis. This is Tom Hanks playing Colonel Parker. And I don't want to go see a movie about Colonel Parker. I mean, I know, I mean, maybe a lot of people don't know about Colonel Parker and, and the type of person he was and, and what he did to, you know, really in my mind, like he, he, he took Elvis to the next level, but also really held him back. You know, he never let the man tour in Europe and become a worldwide star that he could have been um, for, for basically selfish reasons. But the movie became like, this is a Tom Hanks movie. And I really went into this hoping to see an Elvis movie. Well, and I think it becomes best Elvis impersonator, mm-hmm. not necessarily best Elvis, because look how many actors have played Elvis. I mean, Kurt Russell, you can yep. throw them all out there. Um, and I don't know that he quite, I mean, he gets things right. He gets the voice right. Mm-hmm. He gets like that kind of sneer that Elvis had, but he's, he, Elvis was never that thin. Elvis was never that kind of brooding naturally. Elvis was more outgoing, more friendly than this kid always looked like it was like he'd been tortured to do music. Elvis loved doing music. He was, he came alive on stage. And I don't know that you see that. Yes, you get those good scenes, the leather Elvis one, you get the ones where he's, you know, doing the um, uh, Vegas shows. Those are all good. But then I get into the point where it's revisionist history at the end. I don't like that. And so I'm not all that sold on it. I love the look of it. I love the the costumes and the sets. I thought that was real cool. But it ends there. And I yeah. don't think this kid should get enough just by being nominated. He's worked it like nobody's business. I still think Brendan Fraser should win. You mentioned Tom Hanks. This made me so mad because Tom Hanks is not that kind of jerk right. that he plays in this. Not like that at all. I have known or interviewed Tom ever since the days of Bosom Buddies. So I know <laughs> a different Tom Hanks than most people do. And he's been very friendly. And, he, you know, to be honest, actors don't really form friendships with reporters. That doesn't happen. That isn't um, a thing, even though they may want you to believe that. Oh, we're real good friends. No, I can't name a, a single person, even though they might recognize me or they might remember who I was when I did a story on them. But the friendship thing is not there. But I did have a moment where I asked Tom Hanks if he would do something for me. I had a friend who was turning 60, and I said, Tom, she thinks you are the best thing ever. Would you just do me a favor and just send her a card that says, happy birthday? Oh, sure. I can do that. That's no problem. Well, he said, tell me a little bit about her. And I told him, you know, some background on her. And he wrote, and you know how he, if you know anything about Tom Hanks, he has this series of old-fashioned typewriters that he loves old-fashioned typewriters. And he types notes on them a lot. 
he wrote a full page letter to her that talked about how great she was. And this was during the pandemic and how she had helped others and that he just wanted to wish her a happy birthday. And I thought, this is so incredible. And I, you know, I, I thought he would send a car that just says happy birthday in his name, right? This right. was like he had done homework and he sent this thing typed out and then he sent me a note and he said, I sent it. Did she get it? Let me know if she got it. And <laughs> she called me up and she says, you won't believe what I got in the mail. And I'm sure you had something to do with it. I got a letter from Tom Hanks. And I said, well, what did he say? So, and it was very detailed. She has the letter framed. She, it's like one of those prized possessions that you've got in your life. And he was kind enough to do something like that. And I find that just, and he does that all the time. And I'm not saying go ahead and do it because this is not, I'm not trying to encourage somebody to call Tom and say, oh, well, we right. did it before, do it again. No, no, it's one of those things that just rarely happens but it hit the right kind of vibe. And for somebody like that, who really did like Tom Hanks, you know, I, I get a lot of people who say, oh, give me an autograph from so-and-so. And it's like, well, what's your connection? Why do you want this autograph? Because I'll try something. Tara, if you ever have somebody that you really, you say, this is my one star, I will try to get you that. But I won't do it for everybody that you say, oh, yeah, yeah, give me an autograph on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not an autograph hunter. That's not what it <laughs> is. But if it does mean something to somebody, I'm all there for it because I think it works. And this was perfect. This was absolutely perfect for her. That's that's wonderful. I it, That's such a great story. We were talking offline about this. And, and I wasn't joking, like Tom Hanks to me is a bit of a national treasure when it comes to actors. I mean, he's done so many great movies. Forrest Gump and Philadelphia, you know, whether it's a super drama or it's it's a buddy comedy, they're great. And you just you love him. But and I wanted to love him in Elvis, but I know and I, they could have had so many other actors play that role. You know, there are a lot of ones of that girth that could have played Colonel Parker. And then they had to kind of pad up Tom and make him look like, yeah, I get that it helps sell because you have an unknown playing Elvis. But there are some of those good character actors that easily could have filled that role and been better than Tom. Absolutely. I, I can't agree more. Best actress. Any any thoughts on that? I mean, Kate Blanchett won. It's down to the two. It's down to two again. Michelle Yeoh mm -hmm. and Kate uh, Blanchett. And, you know, here's where is it we're rewarding for a lifetime of, you know, commitment to the to the art of acting or are we giving somebody who really did give the best performance and if you ask me the best performance was given by Kate Blanchett that is just a master class in all the nuance and as somebody that you really hate you hate her because she's she's like anybody that you haven't liked in your own life. You might have had a boss that you thought was a real jerk and was just trying to be mean for being mean. And she captures all of that little nuance. And then you see kind of she gets hers. And it's like, uh oh, now what's going to happen with this? So I think it's an acting um, uh, 
a huge acting achievement, even though she has two Oscars already. This would be her third. It would put her in that same class as Ingrid Bergman, Katherine Hepburn, uh, Meryl Streep, and most recently, Frances McDormand. But she's worthy of it. She should get three Oscars at some point. Now we go to Michelle Yeoh, who does everything and then some in Everything Everywhere All at Once. She does her martial arts that we've known her for. She plays funny comedy bits. She plays deep drama. There's a lot there. And it could be just, if they're going to go all in on everything everywhere, she swept up in it. So we, this is one we'll see at the Screen Actors Guild Awards if Michelle wins or if, if Kate wins. And I think either or would be the one that probably is going to be the the leading contender for the Oscar. I, I haven't had a chance to see everything every year, everywhere yet. Sometimes, and it seems like every year there's one movie that catches lightning on a bottle, gets a dozen nominations, but then at the end comes away with almost nothing. Do you think that that could be one of those types of movies or do you think it's no, going to hit, get something? No, it's, I think it's, it's, it's headed to win. And the other thing you'll see is that all those 10 movies those 10 movies that you have not all seen um, will get something. They'll okay. find a way to sort that all out. So you'll look at All Quiet on the Western Front International Film. We got you taken care of. Goodbye. Um, if we give Elvis, if it goes for the costumes, or it could be Austin Butler, done with you. You're out of there. Fablemans, there could be the score for John Williams. Get him out of there. Done. We won't give Steven Spielberg the director prize. We'll think there's another one waiting in the wings for him, although he could win. Um, the uh, Banshees of Inishirin, that'll get best screenplay. Okay, does it get something more? It could. So it's all that, they, but everything, you know, when you start checking them off, Avatar, it'll get special effects. So we're not going to see a sweep that it's going to be 10 Oscars. Those days are done. I don't think we're ever going to see 10 Oscars for anything unless there are no films, you know, and there's just one that's released. But everything everywhere could get five or six at the most. Um, more likely, it'll get four. Okay. And, it, you know, it could be Michelle Yeoh in that whole, in that whole uh, mix. I did talk to Kia Kwan. Yeah. Who, and I, if you, I don't know if you can put a link in this, but I did talk to him for this week. Um, about this whole concept of, you know, coming back after, what, 30 some years, and right. very fascinating, and you'll get to see how he feels and how kind of tickled he is to be the the chosen one now this year. He's making the most of it. He went to the BAFTAs, had a great time, did not win, but didn't matter because he was getting to see everybody and be part of that community that he never thought he would. Yeah, for those that that don't know this, the backstory, um, K. Kwan was uh, he played Short Round in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, so he he played opposite of uh, with, with Harrison Ford, and then he also had uh, a starring role in The Goonies as Data, and that was kind of it. That was like the high watermark for him and as an actor. Yeah, and and you know, so all of a sudden his name popped back out there when this when the the buzz of this movie came, and they started talking about him and it's really his first big movie since like Indiana Jones and the Goonies. And, and actually his, his lawyer 
who negotiated his contract for this movie played Chunk in the Goonies. It was Je- Jeff Cohn, I believe his name. So you talked recently uh, with him and, you know, can you share a little bit of insight? What, what did you talk about? What's he up to? Yeah. We talked about the idea that, you know, he's been working behind the the camera. He, he's been involved in, um, you know, technical things. Uh, he, I think he did choreography for fun, some of the shows uh, because he's a great martial artist. Um, he went to USC and, and got a degree in film. And so he's done, it isn't like he suddenly pulled out of the the trash heap and here he is, he's an actor. It isn't like that at all. He's been in the business and didn't really know if he wanted to go back to acting. And it happened through a tweet um, that they just kind of, what about this guy? This guy could play the role. They couldn't find somebody to pay Michelle Yeoh's husband. Oh. And so they just kind of, would you be interested in auditioning? And he did. He seemed to be right for the role. And it was like magic. It it worked. And he's back in the whole thing. He is in a new series with Michelle Yeoh called American Born Chinese. And uh, that'll be coming out on Disney+. Plus. Some, I'm sure they're going to make sure they can you know, capitalize on this, but they're filming it now. It's based on a graphic novel. And um, it's about a kid going to a school where he's the only Asian American kid in the school and how he tries to fit in and he calls on these various people. Well, um, Quan plays a um, a TV star of the era of the 80s and 90s, who's very um, stereotypical I don't know if I'm saying the right words here, but it's one of those ones where you go, what? And he was freaked. He said, if I agree to do this part, you've got to promise me that you'll hire me for something else because I don't want to ruin my career just because I'm playing this kind of stereotypical part. And they said, oh, don't worry. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. So he's one of these ones that the kid has to relate to. Michelle um, Yeoh plays a goddess that he also gets kind of power from her, a Chinese goddess. So all of this comes together and helps this kid make decisions in his own life. But that thing is so like, so far in the future, that's what they're working on right now. They're filming those scenes and, and going from there. But he's, you know, just how excited can you get? It'd be like you or me getting to go to the Oscars and be a nominee. I mean, it's like unreal. Unreal yeah. dream you gave up on, and now it's happening, and he could win. Do you think you know he's he was out of that aspect of the business for so long, but now he, all of a sudden he's back and the spotlight's on him? Do you see him maybe coming back in some degree now, where he's going to be oh, yeah. a regular? Did, did, did he talk about any plans? Yeah, what is he thinking? He will definitely get lots of work, and it's because he's so versatile. If you see the film you'll notice that he can play kind of a nerd. He plays a kind of a James Bondish quality kind of guy, all this and everything everywhere. He's a martial artist. He's a kind of a schlumpy dad um, with a fanny pack. You know, I mean, it's all the, he does a lot. It's like a, a master uh, audition for all other parts that there could be. And because they're more open now to Asians in leading roles in Hollywood, um, he thinks it's 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 a good opportunity. He said Michelle Yeoh was his role model. He looked at her, and when she made 
um, crazy rich Asians. He said, it's possible for me. I can come back. And he said, it has changed. The world is much different now than it was when he was first in it. He said, you know, there were no parts. You try, you know, I got two and then nothing because there weren't any, they weren't thinking of colorblind casting. They weren't writing for anybody who was Asian. So it was a real, like, you know, what do you do? You are kind of stuck in, I better go back to school. So there he is. But I think it's a great story. It's one of those ones that you look and you say, yep, I'm glad he's in it. And I I really want him to win. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, Crazy Rich Asians. That was such a fun movie. My wife and I loved it. And and it it was a real good opportunity to open up the door for Asian actors, Asian American actors. And and it was a fun, you know, I I just want to see good movies. I don't care who's in it. And then look look at Parasite. Right. How great that was. And, you know, you think past that, you think, well, we don't have to recast this without all, um, you know, Caucasian actors. Why not do these stories? And these stories are very fascinating. Um, and Crazy Rich Asians, I, Asians, I think at some point you must have thought, wait a minute, I'm not thinking about them being Asian. I think they're just characters. Yep. And that's what Hollywood has to do is start thinking in terms of characters. Now, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but if it if there's an opportunity, why not take it? Do it. Kind of getting back to Quan though for a moment, and and obviously his one of his biggest roles was Indiana Jones. Do you think because it, I I've heard rumors oh, he's I going think, to be in this fifth one, this new one? No, that's one of those little secret surprises. And here's the connection, okay? Um, Disney is doing this show, right? Right. Disney has a relationship with Indiana Jones. They have them at their theme parks. You know there has been talk. Come on. And they've been teasing things, even if it's just one where he's like in the street and they look at each other like they recognize each other. You know they're going to take advantage of it. You know that's going to happen. And if he wins the Oscar, they have to. They have to. You have to. I, and that's going to be a moment where, and I'm going to go see Indiana Jones in the theater. When he shows up, you're going to get applause from the audience. Right. People will right. love it. Short rounds back. The Great. people need that, you know? Or he'll be like somebody who's trying to sell off his uh, his popularity. Short rounds, short ribs, or whatever. <laughs> something like that. And it'll be a, a visual thing that you go, oh, that's right. funny. I understand what they're talking about. We've been watching a couple things here and there. I, I've been watching with my daughter, The Bad Batch on Disney Plus. So we're kind of gearing up, um, you know, with that show. But we're going to be moving into The Mandalorian Season 3, which is coming up in, in basically a week or so now. So looking forward to that. Do you think there are too many Star Wars things? Do you say they need to pull back? They're, they're pacing it at a good way. You know, I they're doing, they'll do The Mandalorian. Then there'll be a little bit of a break. And then it looks like the Ahsoka Tana show uh, with Rosario Dawson will come out probably in the fall. That's the rumor I read this morning, actually. So I think the fact that they're doing something roughly, you know, once a quarter or once every couple of quarters, but they're also mixing them up. So it's not the same show. We're not getting like Mandalorian every single year. We're getting it like every 
year and a half or so. So I think they're pacing them out. And, and it's also as a Star Wars fan, some you know, I was a kid when these movies came out and then there was nothing forever. So now, you know, the floodgates have kind of reopened. I think the, the main thing is that they're doing good stories because as much as we can love George Lucas, his storytelling with some of the movies wasn't great. Yeah. And then when Disney redid the three part one, uh, right. <laughs> when, when, when Disney took over and, and rebooted the three movies, they weren't spectacular, but I think they've got a really good mix right now with Dave Filoni, who was handpicked by George Lucas to do his animation. So he did the clone wars, which was amazing. And he did star Wars rebels, which was amazing. But now they've put him in charge of the live action TV shows and they've taken John Favreau, who is a Star Wars fanboy. He's somebody who's like roughly my age, who grew up with Star Wars and has a great respect for George Lucas and the original storytelling. So he's not going to just do something to get, you know, right fans in the seats. He's also doing something to as a Star Wars fan, he knows how Star Wars fans think. So he's between Filoni and Favreau. Those two can't do anything wrong with Star Wars, in my opinion, right now. Let them just keep doing it. And and, okay. and once there's a dud, then, you know, we'll we'll ask him to slow down. But what about Ryan Johnson, though, do you do you think he helped them at all or do you think he didn't? I don't know if the problem was Ryan Johnson or J.J. Abrams. The problem that I had with that middle installment of the movie that he did was you had J.J. Abrams rebooted it, then it went to Ryan Johnson, and then it went back to J.J. Abrams when things were kind of not working out well. My assumption when they went into this is they had a story arc already set. We're going to do movie A, movie B, movie C, and it's all going to tie up. The more I read into it, they didn't do that. J.J. Abrams did a story, and then they handed it off to Ryan Johnson, who did a story. You're doing a trilogy. You have to you have to right. go into the first movie knowing how the third movie is going to end. And, and you watch it, and they feel like three separate movies that are completely incohesive. They weren't – I don't think Ryan Johnson's movie was necessarily terrible. I just think he was handed – you know, they're like, go go do it. And, and he did it, and it just didn't work. Sure. Sure. What would you think of a Quentin Tarantino star? <laughs> well, he's been tied. Wasn't he tied more to Star Trek than right, right. he was? Yeah. <laughs> Could you see him doing this or is that way too far? That's too far. I, 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 unless, and I don't know Tarantino if he's got ties to Star Wars in any way, like as a fan or anything. As I said, this is why I love John Favreau in that role because he's, he's a really good filmmaker but he's a Star Wars fan. So he's he's bringing those two pieces together. And look at him, though, as the Marvel man. He's right. like really helping the Marvel universe become something. Yeah. So fascinating. But, you know, I always wonder if they had distinctive uh, directors who did their kind of take on things. Like the Coen brothers. If the Coen right. brothers did Star Wars, what would that be like? I would love to see that. And I think sometimes... They get a little too TV centric where it's like, we've got to stay in these barriers. We've got to have these. You, these are boundaries. You can't go out this. Why not? You know? Yeah. I, you know, the one thing, though, and they sort of Star Wars sort of went down that way with um, when they were going to do the Han Solo movie 
and they gave it to Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did the Lego movie. And then they had to bring in Ron Howard at the end to bail him out because something was not going well with it. And I liked the Han Solo movie. I I didn't think it was awful by any means, but I don't know what those two were doing. If they were just trying to do too much of a Lego movie in the Star Wars universe and it just fell apart. But I, I think that's the danger when you start going down that route of, you know, allowing like a Coen Brothers or a Tarantino or that kind of thing. We we've already sort of seen it with the Lego movie; it didn't work. Okay. So, what have you been watching, Bruce? Well, I did watch all of the History of the World Part Two, which will be coming March sixth. Is that it? Fifth, sixth on Hulu. And um, what happened was some real big fans of Mel Brooks decided they wanted to do something with him. You know, is there something we can reboot? Is there something we can remake? Is there something, whatever? And he said, well, there's history of the world part one. There should be a part two. But they were surprised that he wanted to be such a part of it. He um, he wanted to sit in the writer's room every day. So even though it was done by Zoom, they said he was all ready for everything. He had, he was dressed in a sport coat and a white shirt, and he was ready to pitch things to them. They said he was very, very involved, even though you would think at 90 something, he wouldn't want to be. Well, and when you look at it, there is definitely a Mel Brooks feel to the way it's put together, but it's basically a handful of stories separated out where you get a little scene in each one, each episode. So it's not like if you put it together, like there's one where they do um, a Larry David spoof. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to tell you too much more because you'll know what I, I'm talking about if I tell you. But and then they have Shirley Chisholm as the as a character in another one. And I think some of these things you need to have a little background to understand it. But the sensibility where it's kind of slapsticky humor and stuff, it works. Nick Kroll is very much in that that field of I'll do whatever it takes for a laugh. And he plays a number of those characters where, yeah, okay. You have Johnny Knoxville as Rasputin. You've got um, Wanda Sykes is in a couple of different ones, but she does play Shirley Chisholm. Uh, Ike Barinholtz is in a Civil War one. So it's it's different characters. And then there's some guest ones. And those are kind of fun to see because you go, oh, Jack Black is in this. And he's just in it very shortly. But um, you get a chance to see all that. And at the end, you think, yeah, it's kind of like a Mel Brooks movie because Mel Brooks movies were never overwhelmingly funny where you go, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. He'll never equal this again. They were often mildly funny and you said well I, i'm that's okay i enjoyed it but that's the series yeah i always thought that with mel brooks i've seen most mel brooks movies i was trying to think to myself if i actually saw the original um but you know i go back to like blazing saddles where i, I remember the first before i watched it for the first time everyone's like oh that is like the funniest movie you're ever gonna see and i watched it and it's a funny movie and it's a good movie but it's not the funniest movie I've ever seen. No, I and mean. I think it that one peters out in the end. And they, yes. they they really search for an ending for that. Now, Young Frankenstein, I think, was a stronger film because they were mimicking something. Mm-hmm. And it had a, a beginning, middle, and an end. 
you know, and so that that worked better. And then he did it in black and white, which even made it, you know, one more step. But he had that great rep company that, oh, my God, Cloris Leachman and and um, uh, Gene Wilder. And you just name them. They were in so many of these things. Dom DeLuise, right? Wasn't he Dom in a DeLuise, bunch? Yeah. Madeline Kahn. All of them were just so fun to watch. It was like he had his own television show. And he just it's your show of shows done on a big screen when you told me in advance that you had watched the show i went ahead and watched a trailer on this and it looks interesting and i think i'm going to check it out uh but it, it did feel like a mel brooks because it's almost you know he didn't have his normal cast of characters that he had in the 70s and it, but it's still that ensemble where you do have your your jack black or your sarah silverman your Danny yeah. devito makes an appearance it's all of these people you know, Seth Rogen, it's, they all get their little moment, kind of like you would see, you know, even going back to like a space balls where it's right. Just a little bit of everybody is in it. And it, it just, I looked as like, oh yeah. You know, if you didn't tell me it was a Mel Brooks movie or, or show, I would have been like, oh, you know, I guess Mel Brooks is back. Cause that's what it felt like to me. And you know, that some of those people probably worked a day. That's all. They didn't have to work more than that. They put the costume on, they say a couple of lines, they're good. Um, the the kind of the triumvirate was Nick Kroll, Ike Barinholtz, and Wanda Sykes. They are good friends, and they were the ones who kind of figured out how are we going to do this? How are we going to split this up? How are we going to make this interesting for everybody? And um, that's why you'll see more of them in the film than or in the series than you would in any other kind of project. But I laughed. I, I will tell you, though. They do use words that Mel Brooks never used in his films. So they go there for the, the ultimate four letter word is in there. Okay. And um, just if you have the kids around, just know this is not like watching some lesser Mel Brooks. Very good to know. Thank you for the, uh, the disclaimer on that. So uh, as we're about to wrap up here, giving the audience just a little bit of a sneak peek of what's to come. I think we're going to end up taking like a slight delay between this episode and our next episode, because you sent me an interview that we're going to use in our next episode, but there's an embargo on it. So instead right. of doing another show next Thursday, we might record next Thursday, but we'll hold it until the start of the next week. Right. Can you, can you give us a little sneak yeah. peek of what that's about? That's a, a new film called champion starring Woody Harrelson. It's based on a Spanish film about a coach who had, who, really loses his luster and then he's kind of uh, assigned to coach a rec league it's a rec league of disabled athletes and he needs to somehow learn a lesson and they become champions it's directed by bobby farrelly who did uh directed woody in kingpins and um they wanted to work together. They were friends. His brother was a roommate of Woody Harrelson's for a long time. And uh, they decided, you know, let's do this. Well, the brother could normally the Fairley brothers work together right? and they couldn't they couldn't do it on this one because the brother who, by the way, won a couple of Oscars for a little thing called Green Book um, was busy with another project. So Bobby did it all by himself. And he said it was like having Woody as his co-director because Woody was so good. But you'll get to hear that next week. Champions is the name of the film. And I thought it was very sweet. It's very, um, it's something that you kind of want to see now. You know, I'm looking for something that's low key. You learn a little something. And Woody, it's a different Woody than you've ever seen. 
So that's coming up. We'll talk about that. And I think we'll have then um, our big preview to preview to the Oscars, right? We'll talk about what we're thinking is going to be best picture. That sounds good. Yeah, because that that is sneaking up on us really, really quick. So we'll be coming back with that in just over a week. So we'll uh, we'll thank you for listening to this show. And again, we'll have a link to your interview in the show notes. You know what? This is a, a great time. That's why I got so mad at going to see Ant-Man is because this is a great time for movies. There's a lot out there that you may have just ignored or passed over. If you haven't seen After Sun, a great film, Living, a great film. Um, these are things that, you know, where are you finding these? Well, they're all somewhere on streaming. Look, uh, go look at a list of Oscar nominees, just do. And you look down below and you'll say, well, that's one I've never heard of. Let's let's look at that. And if it got this far, it's got to be something worth looking at. So please dig into those lists, see where you are, and start checking them out. Because when that night comes, we're we're making our list and checking it twice. Next week, I'll tell you what it's like to go to the Oscars because I've been there before. Sounds good. And as always, see something good, stream something good. Have a great week. <laughs>